Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live. Talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. And uh, welcome to the program, October 3rd. It's a Thursday. And uh, right now, uh, the first, I, I mean, truly consequential witness, I think, is being uh, deposed behind closed doors. This is Ambassador Volker uh, in regard to the Ukraine um, impeachment slash impeachment. Um, I came across this little bit of... numbers. I'm not talking straight today, am I? I had a feeling I wouldn't be. I'm not, yeah, feeling a little strange today. Okay, came upon these numbers. Um, and it is something that's occurred to me. I've been wondering how many people in this Trump administration are going to end up in jail. And obviously the winners of um, right now in American history for uh, an administration that put, had the most people jailed <laughs> is uh, the Nixon administration. Uh, before that was all over, 55, 55. And I'm going to say men. I don't think there was a woman amongst them. Fifty-five men were convicted of criminal conduct who were in the Nixon administration. Let's look a little bit more at history in, in our, most of our lifetimes, the last 50 years. Lyndon Johnson, how many people in Lyndon Johnson's tenure were convicted of criminal offenses? None. Next president up is Nixon, that's 55. Gerald Ford, in his short tenure, <coughs> had one. Jimmy Carter, squeaky clean Jimmy, zero. <coughs> Ronald Reagan, how many people in Ronald Reagan's administration were convicted of crimes? 16. H.W. Bush, one. Bill Clinton. Remember, the Clintons were accused of murder, of drug trafficking, of God knows what. He was impeached and all given all of that. How many people were convicted of criminal conduct in Bill Clinton's eight years in the White House? One. George W. 16. 
Barack Obama. Eight years. Zero. And next up, of course, Donald Trump. And so far, and this is very preliminary, four. Four already convicted and high up officials. So look at this. Do you notice anything about those numbers I'm, uh, I just gave you? Let me pull a few out. Lyndon Baines Johnson, zero. Jimmy Carter, zero. Bill Clinton, one. Barack Obama, zero. The combined number of people jailed in the Republican administrations, however, 95. 95 people. I'm not sure if everyone went to jail. 95 convictions. Let's be absolutely factual here. 95 criminal convictions when Republicans hold the reins of our government. It's executive branch. Democrats? One. Ninety-five to one. So, when any Republican runs on something like drain the swamp, only the most gullible only the most uninformed, only the most self-deluded would jump on board. They don't believe in government particularly. And I guess because they don't believe in it, they don't in any way value it or cherish it or feel it is something that needs to be cared for, carefully guarded. See, Democrats do believe in government. They do not mistreat it when they control it. Republicans... They just see it as a means to usually a rather selfish end. So right now, the number of people convicted in the Trump administration sits at four. Anyone want to take a bet that he will surpass Nixon? Nixon, remember, 55. Including his people around him, his tightest circle, Haldeman, Ehrlichman, his attorney general. I wonder if the people in the Trump White House and those who are serving him now have any sense of this history. It's amazing to me how they refuse to remove themselves, refuse to see that the truth will out. Refuse to see 
that they will eventually be placed under oath. <clears throat> and <clears throat> if they continue to engage in lies and obfuscation, could well find themselves criminally convicted. I just said that uh, Republicans don't really care about uh, government. Uh, famously, they're one of their sphinxes, swamis, um, one of those that they somehow elevated, for what reason, I don't know, Grover Norquist, who made, he used to control the Republicans so much that you couldn't get elected unless you signed his, what did he call it, a pledge? It was his oath. You're supposed to take an oath to the Constitution when you're um, an elected official. Republicans would take this oath, sign the pledge, to Grover Norquist that they would never, ever, ever vote to increase a tax. Because Grover Norquist famously said, it's taxes that allow government to function. And since they don't like government... He wanted to stop the lifeblood, the money, taxes, that allows government to perform functions. I'm going to shrink government so much, said Norquist, that we'll be able to drown it in a bathtub. So when you put Republicans at the helm of a government. They do not tend it. They harm it. They have no respect for it. I would go further, and I have. I have said this current constitution this current constitution of uh, what is now called the Republican Party does not even believe in democracy. It believes in suppressing the right of people to vote. It defies all kinds of constitutional scriptures and democratic strictures. It engages in voter harassment. It engages in gerrymandering. It seeks to win by virtue of depriving people of their freedom to vote. And do you know what they're doing? Now, I've mentioned this, but I just want to clarify that when the Republicans go to their convention where are they holding their convention this year? I know the Democrats are in Milwaukee. I'm not sure where the, where the Republicans are going to be. But when they head uh, to their convention this summer, they have been working really hard to ensure that it is not as much a convention as it is a coronation. 
And so no kinds of, well, democracy need muck up the celebration. They'll be in Charlotte. Thank you, Amy. Charlotte, North Carolina. The um, They have been tightening the rules for how you get to be a delegate. This is what they do in, in elections. They, they start mucking up the rules, messing with it, tightening things to the point where only the anointed, only the people who have been vetted and will vote as told get to go. They do not want anyone to get up at that convention and give what could be considered in any way a speech critical of Donald Trump's tenure. Now we know that there are three guys that are supposedly running against him in the primaries, right? William Weld of Massachusetts, former governor, uh, what's his name, the Appalachian Trail, Sanford, and, uh, oh God, Walsh, uh, former congressman. So even if those three guys do somehow raise money, try to go after him, they're going to find, first of all, they'll never get to speak at the convention, ever. <clears throat> that they won't. But there won't even be a primary for him to run against him. How many states now? Something like 37 of the 50 states, the Republican parties in those states, have made changes to the rules that will actually make it impossible for anything to happen that could embarrass Donald Trump. Republican uh, parties in states like Massachusetts, which is, of course, a very blue state, but there are Republicans who live in it. And because it's Massachusetts and a high population state, there's a lot of delegates to be had when a primary is held in Massachusetts. And as I said before, one of their former governors, a Republican, William Weld, intends to challenge Donald Trump in Massachusetts primary. Well, Massachusetts is one of those states that's still going to have the primary, so William Weld will be able to do that, but guess what? They have changed their rules so that any candidate who gets one more vote than 50% of the total gets all of Massachusetts delegates. So even if William Weld were to get, let's say, 45% of the vote of Massachusetts Republicans, they will, those Republicans will have no representation whatsoever on the floor of the Republican convention. Trump takes all. Five states have flat out canceled their primaries. 
they, they won't have them. Their voters will have no chance to register a vote in opposition to uh, Donald Trump. Um, but, so they're canceling primaries, they're changing how the delegates get, and it's going to be a total, it, it's like, you know, it's like, when I was a kid, I remember, like, uh, I would look at those pictures of the Russian Politburo, um, all these awful-looking, stern, white guys standing in a row, maybe looking at tanks in a May Day parade. And I would think, how can I would think of how odd it was <laughs> that there was this, you know, this sense that there was a government there when, in fact, it was really just a dictatorship, and people did what people were told. And that is what, as we were talking yesterday about the presidency of one, that is what the Republican Party has signed on to now with Donald Trump. So much so that they have to change their rules, rules that have, they've had in place for years and years and years, so that the leader, der Fuhrer, will not be offended at the convention by even a whimper of dissent. This is how tyrannies work. This is how autocracies work. This is not how democracies and republics work. And we have never seen the like. Another uh, despot uh, is, you know, taken over the Philippines, Duterte. He's uh, hobnobbing uh, with the Russians this week. And uh, Duterte, who brags about raping women, who brags about ordering the killing of people, who brags about actually killing people himself. Let me find this thing for you. He showed up at an event with the Russian Prime Minister, Medvedev. Remember him? And he looked like he'd been out on a bender all night. He is, um, <laughs> he looks like he slept in his suit. His, he looks like his shirt is buttoned so that the one button is not buttoned right. His tie is, is down. It is, I mean, it really looks incredible. Well, this picture has, of course, set people talking all over the place. And so here is what a despotic regime, this is like as if Trump were found in this state, uh, Duterte, his people immediately put out a statement. Let me find it. Let me find it because, here, the president 
the president smells good. I, what? You th- the president, he says, smells, smells good. That's what the ladies tell me when they kiss him. He smells good. What? And now the Russian internet is going nuts, you know, making fun of him. And um, he smells good. Oh, and then later he said he smells refreshing. Good God. Okay. Um, Margaret says she wants to be a fly on the wall at the White House. Well, I don't know. Can you imagine? I mean, can you imagine? He sh- his behavior with the poor president of Finland sitting by his side yesterday, his screaming and swearing, and this is at a public event in the Oval Office. Um, if that's the way he comports himself in a public setting, it is hard to imagine what he is like now privately it's really hard to imagine um little tony says i hope you didn't get a ticket yesterday i didn't I was sure I, you know, that's just luck. I was definitely um, in arrears to the city. Um, P.S. Is anyone else sick of seeing the brother of the guy who was shot and killed by the off-duty police officer for giving and hugging her in the courtroom? I'm sick of it. Do it when the cameras are off and I'll be impressed. Or maybe I'm just a miserable bastard. Well, actually, I, I, I do, that, that's a subject uh, of, of some um, interest to me. It is. If you haven't seen, the, the, this is the brother, 18-year-old brother of, um, of that poor soul whose name I'm, I'm blanking on, Botham Jean right, um, who was shot dead in his own apartment God. by a Dallas cop who somehow thought she was in her apartment. She was found guilty. Um, this, I guess, family members were allowed to take the stand and 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 confront her to tell her about what she had taken from them and um, this young man 18 
was so uncomfortable and so he hadn't written anything down he kept tugging at his I mean the body language of him is what interested me more than anything because to me the words coming out of his mouth and his body language didn't didn't coincide um, I don't know what does it mean body language when you keep like tugging at your neck almost as if you're you know somebody's got a noose around it I don't know it was like this constant and he says I, I watched it once that's all I did watched it once and it it is unfathomable to me he said did he go so far as to say he loved her I don't even want you to go to jail he said I want the best for you I forgive you I want to hug her and then the hug and this is it's not for me to say it's reminiscent of the reaction sort of after God that awful what Dylan Roof blew away all those people in that Bible study class and that was a black church and the survivors of that and their families like immediately came out with this forgiveness this Christian I mean turn the other cheek and forgave I could not do that I'm not Christian I could not do that I would want her to serve jail time and more than she is serving frankly I understand if you're totally into have totally taken in uh, the message of uh, Christianity of forgiveness that maybe God you do that but do you really feel it? It's beyond me. I don't know. I can't. And then somebody pointed out that, you know, in the, um, for black people, the fact, I don't see many white people doing that. And is that something where black people, because they've been <laughs> so mistreated, in this country and especially in the um, judicial system that there is somehow a need to show themselves to be better the best person possible it's like you know a black person has to work twice as hard and get paid to get paid half as much a black person has to and and I'm wondering if this is some sort of thing where we've got to do what no other 
person would do. We've got to do this to show that we're good people. That it's just another offshoot of the racism that you do. De- I don't know. I, I, I have to tell you, I, I, it made me think, what? And meanwhile, while he was doing that, I know there are a bunch of other black people outside the courtroom screaming bloody murder that a 10-year sentence for this woman was obscene, not enough. The prosecution had, I thought, really eloquently asked for a 28-year sentence, which is how old that poor man would be if she hadn't showed up and shot him dead. 28 years, that's all he didn't even quite get 28 years. He got 27 years. Give her 28. 10. I don't know. Doesn't make any sense to me. Roger writes, what happens in the states where the Republicans have canceled their primaries if Trump quits or decides not to run? Does their convention become like the 68 Democrats? Who the hell knows? Who the hell knows? Because it is, yeah, it's conceivable that Trump, by the time of the convention, will be uh, someplace else. I don't know. Little Tony says, I felt so bad for the Finnish president. (laughs) Me too. What the hell is the guy supposed to do? Just stand there and sit there? Well, stand there. There was a standing before and then there was a sitting after in the Oval Office. Stand there and act normal. What a constant embarrassment Trump is. No, this is what he does. God forbid you're um, asked to uh, stand there uh, with Donald Trump. And did you see him like just like recoil when Trump slapped his knee? He like he like looked like he I mean he sort of like he was a little late on the draw, but he was like after Trump slapped his knee, he made a gesture like get up. What an embarrassment. What an embarrassment. And he seems to be <clears throat> melting down. <coughs> he's melting down. And if he's melting down this early in the game, God knows what we're heading into here. That's all I can say. God knows what we're heading into. Um... Oh, some someone sent me uh, this about the hug. Huh. White people love this shit. Black people understand this isn't necessary. This is conditioning, hoodwinking, and brainwashing. 
into thinking this is what's required, that this kid felt he had to, this is what's required to be good and to heal. You can be angry and unforgiving, but be a good person. But see, he showed no anger. He showed, I felt for that kid. And he, 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 he did, I, I mean, that, that was a tortured soul up there. And I don't know what his family's reaction. He said on the stand, I didn't, I never told my family I felt this way, I, that I was going to do this or anything. And I, you know, I don't know. 18 years old, he's lost his brother. And then this other part of me thought, what if that moment does change her? life what see here's what jesus would say what if what he did was tell her give your life to christ that's what he said this is how you can make this good give your life to christ i mean what if she serves 10 years in jail and comes out and the rest of her life she's like mother Teresa, (laughs) and does nothing but good for people then you would say that kid saved his brother's murderer. But in saving her, he saved others. Somebody remember to follow this up in 10 years. Uh, increasingly, distressingly, uh, Trump and his folks are calling the impeachment inquiry a coup. Now, I would argue that, first of all, that shows uh, that they don't understand what a coup is, because <laughs> what is happening with impeachment is is a process that is carefully delineated in the founding documents of this country by our revered founding fathers for how one does remove an unfit president. They didn't say if the president is unfit you hold a coup. (laughs) No. They <coughs> had a process. It's called impeachment. And that is what is happening now. By the book. The book being the Constitution of the United States. On the other hand, a coup, <coughs> the full phrase is coup d'etat, is French. A coup is the illegal, it's a criminal activity, as opposed to a constitutional activity, which is what we're engaged in now through impeachment. A coup d'etat is an illegal taking over of a government. One, obviously illegal coup 
one, obviously, legal, constitutional. In fact, the playbook written by, again, the revered founding fathers of this country. To call, then, what is happening a coup subverts the Constitution, subverts the intent of the founders, subverts the country and our system, and incites, and here's where I really wanted to get, incites, possibly, violence. So calling it a coup, which is a violent event, calling it a coup, the Democrats are engaged in this violent, illegal thing. This is of the same piece as the Civil War rhetoric. Civil War. So watch this. Be aware of how these words and this verbiage lands on the ears of Trump's followers. He is being illegally taken from office. This coup lingo has been used, of course, by the president in tweet after tweet after tweet. It is used, apparently, I don't watch with regularity, on Fox News. Tucker Carlson uses it regularly. Rush Limbaugh uses it. Breitbart uses it. Fox and Friends uses it. Sean Hannity uses it. Yesterday, nearly every hour on Fox News, a host or a guest or a surrogate was using the word coup, coup, coup. If something illegal, if somebody was trying to usurp, take over the White House illegally, and you're a patriot, like Trump's backers, you just might decide you've got to act as well. Civil War, coup d'etat, watch them ramp up the language of violent confrontation. We have a caller? Caller, hello. Hi, Lynn. This is Beth calling in. Hi, Beth. Um, first, hey, how are you? I'm fine. First of all, the young man, the young man with the uh, former police officer yesterday, I took his actions as though he was just a true believer. Yeah. Like, yeah. I was just, you know, and for all you fucking evangelicals who say you're Christian, that was that's a Christian. Christianity. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, you may actually have to look at a black individual 
doing something more Christian-like than what you people do. Right. Also, as far as Trump and him coming in more unhinged, I really think there's another shoe that's going to drop. Because usually when something's going to get released in a couple days, this is when he starts going off his rocker a bit more. And I think we're going to, I mean, maybe the taxes are getting released. There's something else that's going to drop. I really feel it. And also, what do you think of this whole thing? Remember with Pence and bringing him in, uh, there was all the conversation about Nikki Haley is going to be the VP candidate. And, you know, he was even sucking Trump's balls even more. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, remember, Trump then down at his golf course and he sends Pence to the thing in Warsaw. I kind of wonder if they knew some rumblings that this may be coming down. I don't think they expected the impeachment part, which has thrown them the curveball. But I think they were setting up Pence as the fall guy just so they could bring in Nikki Haley for the next election. Well, I have little doubt that... Um they're always setting Pence up. I mean, Pence, Pence is like you know, it's like uh, Trump is uh, is Putin's uh, idiot, uh, useful idiot, yeah. and Pence is Trump's. Pence is waiting around, thinking he this is going to make him president. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, but I. You know, and maybe he's right. Maybe it could fall that way. I, but I think before it's over, Trump will have thrown absolutely everybody under the bus. Everybody. Oh, and I, I can't wait for it. There's nothing better, I have to say, with us having to deal with the torture of this administration, and especially the Republican Party and what it's turned into, than seeing them all eat themselves. Yeah. It is amazing. I have to say that yeah. that does bring me some joy. <laughs> okay. Well, we get our joy where we can these days. God. And it's pretty sad, but I, but I'll admit it. <laughs> <laughs> Not very Christian of you. Oh, I'm agnostic. It's fine. <laughs> okay. Hey, thank you. Thank hey, you. Have for... a good. Have a good. Bye bye. You too. Bye bye. Um. There was this, uh, there's a book out, and speaking of Pence, let me just share some of this with you, because it it struck me as so weird. Uh, This is a review of a book on Pence. So it says this, this might be stuff you don't know. After he lost his first campaign for Congress, Mike Pence said he would never engage in negative politics and so he actually wrote a confessional essay in 1991 this is after his defeat he wrote that negative campaigning is wrong and then he set rules for himself for the future he said any campaign ought to demonstrate the basic human decency of the candidate and must advance a goal greater than personal desire. It should not be only about winning. Now, a guy who wrote that, it's an odd fit. 
that he signed on to the presidential ticket of grabbing by the pussy, foul-mouthed, disgusting Trump. The very antithesis of this ideal that Pence wrote he would now strive to to meet. And so they say here that while Pence himself, and this is true, maintains a public dignity that eschews vitriol against opponents, he has yet tethered himself to a president who revels in negative campaigning, winner-take-all, and certainly doesn't give a damn about human decency. So this guy goes on to say, the book, by the way, is called Piety and Power, and it's about Pence. Um, and according to this review, he's a hard nut to crack. He's a strange guy. And the reviewer says, you read the book, but still, who is Pence? What's at the core there? You never get there. So here's the reviewer again. The Faustian bargain that Pence made signing on to be Trump's VP makes him one of the most intriguing yet least understood figures in American politics today. What mix of ambition, duty, principle, and expediency led him to sign on? How does a devoted evangelical Christian serve a foul-mouthed thrice-married vulgarian who boasts of grabbing women by their private parts and who paid hush money to a porn star, blah, blah, blah. What virtues does Pence see in Trump? Does he genuinely admire him the way he does, seems to in all the rapturous photo ops? Or does he secretly see himself as the last grown up in the room, the savior of the country, keeping things from getting worse. Let me add this a uh, little bit of this to it, just because it's not a subject we brought up. The book deals a lot with his wife. <laughs> She, she who I think wears the pants in the family, Karen. She is known to us mainly because the vice president refuses to meet alone with women. Her influence is significant. When he was governor, he had a cherry red telephone on his desk that only went to one person. It was literally a direct line to his wife, 
who, by the way, was ensconced in her own office just across the building. Karen Pence, according to the book, was livid when that Access Hollywood tape came out. Livid. She wanted her husband to drop off the ticket. Pence said, it's too late. I can't. When they won on election night 2016, Karen refused to kiss her victorious husband. You got what you want, Mike, she told him. Leave me alone. Where do they get a quote like that? And Where do these reporters get quotes like that? Pence assumes that Trump will not run again in 2020. But now that he is, he's committed to waiting another four years, unless impeachment leads to an earlier exit by the president. I don't know. When an evangelical pastor who once prayed with Pence in his congressional office ran into him last year at a ceremony, the pastor says he said to Pence, you know, Mr. Vice President, more than anything, we need you to find your conscience. The country desperately needs you to find your conscience. The pastor said, Pence replied, it's always easier said than done. And then he walked away. Uh, Tony. Tony says, I agree with Beth about the guy being a true believer. Yeah, it has to be. But I'm, I'm saying, thinking he's still, the body language suggests to me that he was wrestling with his belief. He was trying mightily to do what he thought Jesus expected of him. But he's a human being. His brother's dead. And he says, I love you? I don't even want you to go to jail? I don't even know if Jesus would have done that. Tony says, the thing that annoyed me about the hug was the news media's over-reporting of it. Oh, look, it's one of those feel-good stories. Every other tweet yesterday was about this. And then Tony, uh, still agreeing with Beth, says, I'm also hoping and waiting for the other shoe to drop. I'm hoping for a big shoe. Well, my sense is there will be a lot of shoes dropping in the coming weeks. Um, Anyone who remembers Watergate. The shoes that drop will come from unlikely places. And they'll usually come from people who we don't know. I think we mentioned this yesterday a little bit, right? That it's the faceless, the bureaucrats, the little guys, the whistleblowers. 
those are the ones that will drop a shoe in a hearing. In Watergate, remember, it was a guy named Butterfield? I can't remember what his position was. He was in the White House somewhere. Or he was somebody. He And he shows up, hardly a star witness. I don't know. I suppose a lot of people say, I don't know who this guy is. I'm going to go uh, make myself some dinner. Butterfield's the one who, in the course of his testimony, it came out. It's not like he came in and said, here's what I know. In the course of questioning, as I recall it, the shoe he drops is the president, Nixon, installed a taping system in the Oval Office. You mean everything that happened in that office is, unrec- is recorded? Yeah. Well, there it was. Then you get subpoenas for those tapes. Then you get the strange 18-minute gap in the one tape. (laughs) Then you get more cover-up. Then you get, yeah, whatever. I mean, it's just, that's what's going to happen. It's going to be some... What? No. What is that? Sounds like somebody moaning. What? It's upstairs? I'm sorry, you guys might be here, but there's somebody moaning in my ear. Okay. William says, I think Pence believes the world's going to end any year now. It reinforces a (laughs) take-what-you-can-get attitude. I suppose that's true. Also, speaking of, now that I mentioned the 18-minute gap, the famous gap where Nixon's secretary, Rosemary Woods, took the, took the blame, um, and the hysterical picture of her showing how it probably happened that she erased 18 minutes of, the 18 minutes, of course, that everybody needed to hear. And there was this picture of her contorting her body, her foot over here. See, I probably did this, and then that happened, and yeah, and I held this for 18. I mean, it was so unbelievably ludicrous. Okay, yesterday, Trump, I think with the Finnish poor soul president sitting there, um, said that, the White House had put out a word-for-word, comma-for-comma transcription of the now infamous conversation, telephone conversation, with the Ukrainian uh, president. This is an exact word-for-word transcription of the conversation taken by very talented stenographers, said the president. Here's the problem. It's not an, a word-for-word transcription. It says so even on the cover of it, I think. Uh, the document the White House has said <laughs> before 
is a summary that pretty closely tracks the words that the presidents used in their conversation. But it is not a word-for-word transcription. Now, I remember when it first came out, there was one person I heard saying, look at all these dot, dot, dots. And somebody said, those are ellipses. Dot, dot, dot. And there are dot, dot, dots that in strange places. Now, my understanding, a dot, dot, dot means something's been removed. That is a punctuation indicating usually that information has been deleted for reasons of uh, clarity or not (laughs) or obfuscation. Those who have seen these kinds of summaries of calls with foreign leaders before say you don't see those in these kinds of summaries. This is current and former officials all speaking on the condition of anonymity. Um, Where the ellipses occurred, interestingly, is when Trump starts talking about CrowdStrike. CrowdStrike is is a cybersecurity outfit, and according to conspiracy theorists in the on the right, it somehow uh, plays into the hack of the Democratic Party's computers, which, according to this conspiracy theory, um, the the server is still is hidden somewhere in Ukraine. And the president brings this up. with It's a total bullshit conspiracy theory, as is the idea of Biden coming in. So there's two conspiracy theories the president's touting in that phone call. What we've seen, the document we've seen says, Trump says this, I would like you to find out what happened with this whole situation with Ukraine. They say crowd strike. Ellipses, ellipses, ellipses. I guess you have one of your wealthy people, ellipses, 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 the server. They say Ukraine has it. There's a whole bunch of stuff right after he says crowd strike that has clearly been pulled out. The third time ellipses are used is when Trump is asking (laughs) Zelensky about another conspiracy theory that uh, Biden, oh, so here it is, Trump. Biden went around bragging that he stopped the prosecution. So if you can look into it, ellipses, 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 something's been taken out. The next thing that's in is Trump saying, it sounds horrible to me. The White House declined to comment yesterday about the unusual... (laughs) markings or other apparent discrepancies. There you go. Also, here's the other weird thing about it. I just want to get this in. Everybody says that the phone call lasted 30 minutes, right? Is that what Trump said? Uh, The phone call lasted 30 minutes. 
If you read the transcript, have two people read the transcript. Which, by the way, Senator Angus King, the independent from Maine, did. He had two of his office's interns read the call summary out loud, and he measured it with a stopwatch. Guess how long the conversation took? Ten minutes and 40 seconds. Twenty minutes shorter than the White House's assertion about how long the conversation was. We don't know what the hell. We don't know half of it. The reality is, is that there's no way what the conversation was. They say the conversation was a half hour. If you read as Angus King's people did, there's 20 minutes missing. Chew on that for a while, and I can't believe that's not getting more attention. Do it yourself if you want. It's out there. Do it. There's no way you can make that 30 minutes or even close. All right, you guys. Have a good one. I'll see you again on Monday, okay? God knows where we'll be. Stay safe. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.